Greetings and welcome to the writings of Soin. This is Birkegaard coming to you from worldwide headquarters in Columbia, Pennsylvania, a town of no renown. It's almost the uh, capital of the United States, lost by a couple votes, but um, it's fallen on hard times, but I, uh, I love the town, uh, pulling for it, try to give my monetary resources to it when I have an opportunity. Always love the underdog. Love the underdog. Love the uh, love the uh, story of uh, trying to overcome the odds. And uh, today we continue. We continue on this uh, book, the eighteen upbuilding discourses that uh, Soren wrote uh, for that solitary individual. And the good news is the podcast continues to prosper and go up. Uh, but each person, each person is who this is dedicated to, not the audience. It's each person who listens. That's what Sword would have us do. <clears throat> I've been trying to uh, make sure my throat, my nostrils, and my sinuses are cleaned out this morning. So I apologize. It's been a little rainy here in Pennsylvania. Changes of temperatures and things like that. But I've been working all last 15 minutes trying to get ready. Uh, so I apologize if it doesn't work out quite the way I'm hoping it does. But uh, last week we continued on the uh, patience and expectancy. I think it's upbuilding discourse number 11 out of 18. And um, we are in the part of this, uh, of this upbuilding discourse where uh, Soren introduces the characters of Simeon and Anna. So from the Gospels, uh, from the Gospel, uh, we learn it is a Gospel. I don't think they're mentioned in any other Gospels. Uh, from the Gospel, we learn... Uh, that two witnesses were present in the temple when Jesus was presented by his family after 40 days after being born. A godly man and a devout woman, uh, Simeon and Anna. Uh, they were not related to the child by the bonds of family and friendship and were not invited by the parents. They were present in accordance uh, with a higher dispensation and represent something higher. Uh, they were both well along in years, tired of living, yet joyous in hope. Consequently, they were uh, not concerned about the fulfillment in the same way as the person who meets its coming with a greeting of welcome, but were like one who bids the fulfillment farewell. Uh, so once they saw Jesus, and, uh, they, and uh, Anna goes into more detail, the story of Anna, and how she teaches the people in the temple about Jesus, uh, but they were saying goodbye. They weren't saying hello. That was the fulfillment of their hope. And uh, Soren's doing a masterful job uh, illustrating uh, the uh, patience and expectancy through especially Anna here, which I think is great. As we recall, and I've probably mentioned it previously, women in the Bible in biblical times until the completion of the canon book of Revelation, um, they were not considered credible witnesses in like a court of law. Uh, and the scriptures and the gospels are very countercultural. Uh, sometimes we take these things for granted. We don't understand that Jesus is uh, elevating the role of women into equality with men in terms of their standing before God. We have different uh, characteristics and things like that, but our basic equality before God is, is genderless. Uh, God values all people equally, as well as all the different 
uh, variations of humanity. It's not right to use the word race. There's only one human race. They're not races. It's not like, um, you know, black people and Asian people and white people are from a different race. Well, the human race, we just have different characteristics. And if we understood that more clearly and got out of this race thinking, um, then maybe we'd be better off. I think, no, we'd be better off. Um, but they were saying goodbye. Uh, they were saying goodbye to a life fulfilled. And, uh, but they were tired of living, yet joyous in hope. Consequently, they were not concerned about the fulfillment in the same way that the person who meets is coming uh, with a greeting of welcome, but they were like one who bids uh, the fulfillment farewell. <clears throat> what then do these two witnesses represent? What else but expectancy, just as the voice of the prophets echoed once again in the rigorous words of John the Baptist, so did the patriarchs believe expectancy rise up in these two figures in order uh, to stand by in the moment of fulfillment. But they who were appointed by the Lord himself to represent the expectancy in that hour certainly were the sort of people who at all times are able to stand their test every time uh, contemplation seeks to understand expectancy in the form of expectancy that is patience. So both Simeon and Anna were quite old. Uh, I think Anna is 87 years old. And the scripture can be interpreted that she had been in the temple for 87 years. But I don't think that's really quite reasonable. It make her really, really old. Over 100 years old and then some. Because yeah, it says she was married for 7 years on top of it. So I think she's 87 years old. Which was still a goodly amount of years uh, in the um, time of the New Testament uh, when it was written. John just mentioned Simeon only briefly, but dwells all the more solicitously on Anna, as if the first and foremost, as if it, as if it first and foremost wanted to make her the object of our attention. Consequently, let us uh, not misunderstand the hint, and misunderstand this hint uh, actually, but with Anna as the occasion, with her in mind, let us speak of patience and expectancy. So these two are model uh, examples of patience and expectancy. And this is throughout the scriptures that uh, from Genesis, like we talked about last week, <clears throat> the Proto-Evangelium, from there on, the prophets spoke of a coming, of a coming Messiah. Uh, it wasn't always clear. Let's, let's at least acknowledge that some, uh, some people are correct, the Jews in particular, uh, the scriptures aren't black and white a lot of times about these things. Uh, God is more mysterious than that. Uh, he um, he tells parables and stories and hints and allusions, and, and it's up to people who engage that with the right spirit to figure it out. Uh, there's times that Jesus spoke plainly, and he didn't speak in parables, but there are times that he spoke uh, mysteriously, and people could walk away thinking like the guy's talking nonsense. What the heck is this about? You know, planting seeds and rocky soils, and uh, you know, birds coming and eating the in the seeds, and uh, something rising up quickly, and they they just don't get it. You know, they walk away scratching their head because they don't have a mind to understand. So, patience and expectancy. Uh, from the gospel, we learn that at the time of this event, Anna was well on in years, in her 84th year. So it's 84 rather than 87. Excuse me. <clears throat> her earlier life had passed quietly. Only one change is mentioned the one that made her a widow when she had lived with her husband seven years after maidenhood. Consequently, she had been married only seven years, and now her age was seven times twelve. 
Uh, so Soren teaching us a little mathematics here. 7 times 12, 84. I don't know, I was thinking 87, but 84. <clears throat> her life was broken off early. She had nothing left that could be the object of her caring. Uh, so women those days were perceived as being redeemed through becoming mothers. And that's why it was so painful for women like Sarah and John the Baptist's mom and yeah, individuals like that, females like that, that were childless. And there's that uh, that woman, I think she's Hannah in the Old Testament, that had um, Samuel the prophet. I think uh, she struggled with uh, having children too. Uh, put old, put old uh, Samuel in a little uh, little ephod walking around, like a little uh, play ephod, uh, like as if it was a priest. Those stories are fun. I like those. Uh, so uh, childhood uh, was uh, seen as a redeeming aspect of being a woman. And if a woman was not a mother, uh, she was considered smitten by God. Uh, so uh, Anna didn't take it that way, nor should she. Um, uh, this point, you can, As a woman, you don't have to have children to feel like you're important. You don't have to be married to feel like you're important. This is true for men too, but probably more true for women, I would say. We have dignity and uh, value on our own. And now if you want to have children, you want to be married, all the better. And if that's what God is calling you to, that is excellent. That's a better it's a better thing for you if you want that. Uh, consequently, she'd been married only seven years, and now her age was seven times 12. Her life was broken off early. She had nothing left that could be the object of her caring while her thoughts were with the one dead. She had nothing she could love forth. Um as a consolation for herself in time. Nothing she could love with her whole heart with it, without thereby dishonoring or disquieting the one who had passed away. So maybe Anna was grieving for a love lost. The seven years that she was with her husband were, were wonderful. And uh, maybe she decided at that point that, that she could never match that. And she wanted to honor uh, the memory of her ex-husband. And she decided not to marry. Or it could have been an abusive marriage. I don't know. You know, we don't know. She may have said, enough of that. I'm never going to do that again. Uh, the scriptures are unclear about that. I think that's kind of just an open question. But at least acknowledge that it may be um, various reasons that she decided not to get remarried. <clears throat> she may have just decided uh, the marriage was awesome and I loved it, but I'm dedicated to God. It didn't have anything to do with her ex-husband one way or another. But she just said, I'm fully dedicated to the Lord. So who knows? <clears throat> Those are just open questions. Interesting to think about, but no, no closures possible. Or describing the one who had passed away, nothing she could love in such a way by her very fervency. She would gladden uh, the father, husband, in his grave. She was a widow. Her life was finished. Her expectancy disappointed. And I, I would assume she got married for the reason of wanting to be a wife and to have children. So... Her expectancy was disappointed, and God will allow dis disappointments to come in our lives, of course. <clears throat> that doesn't take any great uh, belief to understand that. Uh, and uh, expectancy is somewhat related to disappointment because it teaches us to put our hopes in the right things. Often when we're disappointed, not always, but often we've put our hopes in the wrong things. We'd hope this uh, relationship would work out and somehow we would feel fulfilled or the ideal job would come our way when we wanted it. Uh, so this uh, this disappointment's not a bad thing sometimes. It also teaches appreciation. So if God in his timing does bring these things come to pass, 
then we should have a greater appreciation and gratitude for them because we knew what it was like to have that withheld for a period of time. We were pining after what we wanted it. <clears throat> it wasn't the first time that I'd seen this happen, but back when I was working at the prior school to the one I wound up working at for 29 years, um, a friend of mine had gotten a position at that at that school, and she had worked really, really uh, hard and assiduously in, in college to become a social studies teacher, and it was difficult to get a teaching job back, you know, maybe 31 years ago. Uh, it's not it's not as difficult right now. It's difficult here in central Pennsylvania because we have a lot of schools that uh, produce teachers, but uh, and it, Pennsylvania pays teachers pretty well in comparison to places like the South. Um, but she finally got a job that she had been like subbing for a while, maybe a year or two, and she really wanted a position, and uh, she got this uh, this position at the school that I'd worked at, and. Uh, you know, I, I ran into her a few years later, and she, she, she started to develop those patterns of cynicism that teachers sometimes get into. It was really interesting. She was, you know, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed when she got the job, and after a few years in the system, she started to uh, talk a little bit less positively about the career. And I just thought it was super interesting that, you know, like if she had seen herself maybe three or four years before, she'd been surprised that she had gone in that direction once the reality hit hit in, uh, teaching is hard. Anybody who thinks teaching is an easy job hasn't been a teacher before, number one. Uh, that's the most primary observation. And teaching is very difficult. You're responsible for a group of kids, sometimes on upwards of 30 to 35 children. It doesn't matter what age group. They all present their <clears throat> different demands and responsibilities that you have as an educator. So anyway, uh, she was a widow. Her life was finished. Her expectancy disappointed. She, who had expected to live a long time with her husband and to die remembered by family and relatives, but she was now indeed free. And that's one way to look at singleness is freedom. Uh, when you get married, you have a lot of responsibilities. And you know, if you have kids on top of it, uh, get ready not to live for yourself, right? <laughs> it's going to be uh, about 30 years, hopefully, if, if not longer where you can start to breathe uh, free again. But that's a good thing. It's good that the human race has children, right? I was always thankful people had kids because that mean, means I had a job. But don't, don't, uh, don't diminish how difficult it is. Uh, I was always uh, a bit concerned when a young woman or young man were talking about wanting to have children. Maybe say they weren't married, but they were acting as if they were married and uh, they were a couple and they, you know, expectedly or expectedly, um, the woman got pregnant, the girl got pregnant and they were so, uh, you should be excited, number one. I always try to treat those things as like, first of all, a baby's coming into the world, so let's first celebrate that, regardless if the people were married or not. I think being married, obviously, is a good thing. It's a better thing for the child. It means marriage is hopefully more stable, which is good for children. Uh, but they also also had pie in the sky, they were often um, wanted to be loved by the child, which works when the baby is young, when the when child is young, when it's a baby. Uh, but as the child grows older, uh, you know, starts to fight back and has a mind of its own and a you know, little sinner that it is. <clears throat> and uh, all of a sudden, the uh, parents who thought they were going to get the love bucket full of the, the love of this child, this affection of the child, now see it's a mixed bag. The child has its own mind, its own will. Uh, born in sin from birth, like the rest of us, and now that now it's now it's a job in a way. Now now it's a, it's a side of something that's not always great. <laughs> you know that if you're a parent. I'm not I'm not preaching to anybody that doesn't understand that more than I do. 
I just seen it enough to know that. The Who expected to live a long time with her husband to die remembered by uh, family and relatives, but she was now indeed free. According to the Hebrew conception, too, a woman is indeed free when her husband is dead. Yeah, you could inherit property if your husband had died, but un until then you were you were not going to be able to inherit property. Uh, but she was indeed free. And in the resurrection, there will be no distinction between man and woman. So that's the teaching of Jesus when uh, I think the Pharisees came up to him and asked him, who... Uh, who will this woman be married to in the afterlife? Because the woman had been married to seven brothers. In Old Testament law, if the older brother had passed away and uh, had left a widow, uh, the younger brothers uh, in order were obligated to marry that woman if she, um, uh, if she wanted to be married. And in that culture, you almost had to be married uh, most of the time. But Anna wasn't, so that was interesting. And it was considered kind of a curse if you, uh, you'd be cursed if you didn't... Uh, 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 marry the uh, widow of your older brother. Let us uh, not upset the venerable woman with our plans. Let us not seek to console with the sagacious advice of people who do not know what inconsolableness is. I am not going to do that word again. 18th centuries and more have passed. She does not need her help now any more than she needed it then. Anna would not tell us to feel sorry for us, or for sorry for her, excuse me. <clears throat> I take a sip of coffee to clear my throat. I did gargle some bourbon this morning because it just helps clear out the uh, sinuses. I didn't drink it. I just gargled with it. Scout's honor. Promise. 18 centuries and more have passed. Um, she does not need our help now any more than she needed it then. So she had this tremendous confidence. Anna had this tremendous confidence in God. She did not feel alone. She felt fulfilled. She felt purposeful. And she was at it for a lot of years in the temple, decades and decades and decades, waiting for the appearance of Jesus the Christ. We should not hinder her in following the inclination of her heart. We should not hinder her in following the inclination of her heart. We should not be in a hurry to attire her in the victorious armor of despair or in the mourning weeds of slow deterioration. After all, she is the object of our contemplation. And there are things in life into which we should not seek to poetize our thoughts, but from which we ourselves should learn. There, were, there are things in life over which we should not weep, but from which we should learn to weep over ourselves. And that's a reference to Jesus telling the women of Jerusalem that they should weep for themselves and their children, not for him, because of the devastation that was to come and the destruction of the temple and the invading Roman armies and all that stuff. So that that's where that comes from. And again, as I mentioned uh, many times before, a lot of these scriptural references are, are footnoted. So if somebody wasn't a biblical, wasn't familiar with the Bible, they could look these verses up and, and get more familiar with the Bible. And there's plenty of times that it is not footnoted, that Soren just expects his audience to understand the reference point. Uh, but I, in most cases, when I'm reading through these um, these citations, I don't have to look in the back to find out where they're from, which is good. It doesn't make me a better person. It just makes me more informed, and that's helpful, I suppose. Her choice is made. It did not happen yesterday or the day before yesterday, so that we should be ready with our assistance to get it changed. Her choice is made. And if she had regretted it, the time of regret had been long. And it sure was. She chose to remain faithful to her late husband. I think Soren's reading too much into this. And that's the most probable rendition of the story, perhaps, to assume that she chose to remain faithful to her late husband. 
But the guy could have been a jerk. Let's just admit it. It's a sinful world. Plenty of good women marry bad men. We know that. And vice versa, I suppose. She chose to remain faithful to her late husband as he had been faithful to her or to say it in another and more truthfully, even though it might not seem as beautiful to her, she chose to remain true to herself. After all, every external bond was dissolved and the only love bound her which she had her freedom and only that love bound her in which she had her freedom and without which she would not have known herself again. And this fidelity, I like the word fidelity, sometimes it's used like in sound systems and acoustics, fidelity. Her life became uh, a very poor in variety. Uh, she was just in the temple. You know, so that would look like a sad life to some people, but she was very rich because her life was in God. Her life became very poor in variety, which some people achieve uh, to the point of repulsiveness. But her life uh, became fruitful for the eternal. But her life became fruitful for the eternal. So fruitful can be a word that's used also. I like the like etymology of words, but fruitful is often used with childbearing. Um, that's somebody who's considered fruitful if they have a lot of kids. And uh, children should be perceived as a gift and fruitful. <clears throat> so she had traded one uh, set of fruit for another. Her life uh, became fruitful for the eternal. So I love that. That's a, a great... A great sentence, and whatever you may think of this, my listener, it is certainly up to each individual to decide on his own, so that according uh, to circumstances, one choice uh, may be just as commendable and its fervent love as another. But this, is, uh, but this much is certain, that the woman who is busy consoling herself over the loss of her late husband is hardly God's choice to appear as the witness of expectancy in the hour when the expectancy of the human race has its fulfillment. So Anna had faced forward on her life. She wasn't looking backwards. And, that, and loss can do that. It can cause people to look backwards and to invest a lot of energy and time and things they can't change. And I'm not advocating like a stoicism or something like that where people are just hard and, and the life beats them up so much that they just don't feel anymore. That's too far the other way. Yet, I think it's important if we have a lot of difficulties, a lot of tragedies, and and they're behind us, is to remember there's not much we can do to change it. It's all in God. It's all in God. And, you know, I've talked about this previously, and I'll talk about it again, is that I would say my life has been harder than it should have been uh, because of the dumb choices I made, but I had a lot of difficulty also handled to me. I guess where I would critique myself the most is that when difficult times came to me, as a young person in particular, I didn't handle them well. I I made it more difficult rather than less difficult. Uh, So the difficulty was there. I I wasn't responsible for that. It occurred to me. It happened to me. I was a child. I was a teenager. But I didn't handle the difficulty well. I didn't respond in a way that was was productive, um, and to say the least. so difficulty is going to come, and we have to let it go. We can't hold on to it forever. We only have two hands. You're holding on to the past, and that's going to mean you're impaired for the present and the future. She remained faithful to the departed one as she considered herself well taken care of, and she was indeed, since there's nothing that so forms, ennobles, and sanctifies a person as the memory of one who is dead, hidden in a sincere heart. 
There is nothing that next to God himself so uncompromisingly tests and searches a person's innermost being as does the commemoration of one who is dead, preserved in an always present memory. So it's okay to have fond memories of people in places and things and all that. I would say people, of course, most important. Uh, <clears throat> so that that's that's a good place for that to be, uh, not ignored it. <clears throat> Pardon me for my clearing of the throat. There is nothing that maintains a person's soul in this kind of perseverance, a persevering and faithful endurance, as does the thought of one who is dead, which never slumbers. The living can sometimes be taken by surprise by some frailty, or can prompt someone else to be over hasty but one who is dead is never over hasty <laughs> yeah the uh the cemetery is a very calm place uh sometimes i walk through a cemetery that's close to my house i have this walk that i do and occasionally i walk through the cemetery it's a good reminder that i'm going to be there soon enough i read this in the uh, valley of vision the other day you know how facebook uh, presents memories from years gone by and sometimes the memories are good ones and sometimes they were good at the time they were good events but they've turned kind of sad or sorrowful because of the <clears throat> the events that have occurred since then uh, but this was something that i posted on facebook maybe 10 years ago it's from a book called the valley of vision which is like these puritan prayers <clears throat> excuse me May I view all things in the mirror of eternity if my life should end today. Let it be my best day. We should wake up every morning and say, let this be my best day. But look at things with the, the mirror of eternity. It's a little bit of a weird illusion because if you're looking at a mirror, you have to look behind you to see eternity. But I, I suppose that works. I, I would probably view it like a, the window of eternity or something, but a mirror works, I suppose. Uh, but let's go back to where we are. Living can at times make a mistake of inf uh, or influence someone else to make one, but the one who is dead makes uh, is made not of flesh and blood, but of the holiest and best thoughts of a thankful memory, uh, which are never in error. Uh, hopefully over time we get a clear, clear view of people. Uh, which are never in error, since they are purified in the anxiety of losing the one who has gone to glory. Hopefully they've gone to glory. <clears throat> the living are quick to appreciate our love, quick to repay in fuller measure and sooner than perhaps well-deserved, but the longer the hour of reward is postponed, the more beautiful it is for the one who desires it early and late. Only the day laborer demands to be paid every day. Only faithful love serves seven years and seven more for the reward. And that's a biblical illusion, an Old Testament. And I think that was probably Jacob with, uh, with his wife. He had to marry Leah first, and then I think it was Rachel. I didn't look that up, so I'm doing that from memory, but I'm pretty sure that's Jacob and... Uh, their, uh, their dad made him marry Leah first through this deception. Like the Old Testament is full of all kinds of soap opera stuff. I mean, you want to get into like some dysfunction, <clears throat> kind of like Jerry Springer or Mari Povich type of stuff. Read the Old Testament. It's messed up. But the longer the hour reward is postponed, the more beautiful it is for the one who desires it early and late. Only the day laborer demands to be paid every day. Only faithful love serves seven years and seven more for the reward, but the per person who loves one who is dead serves his entire life for his love. 
so perhaps that's what Anna was doing. Is Anna then not expectant? We are well aware that there were those in the world whose expectancy was not disappointed. They learned early. Uh, they er learned early to harden their hearts. So let me try to read this again. Make sure I did that correctly. Is Anna then not expectant? Question mark. We are well aware that there were those in the world. We are well aware that there were those in the world whose expectancy was not disappointed. They learn early to harden their hearts. So they, they're so cynical that they don't even hope. And that can happen to people. And when that happens to children, for example, or teenagers, it's awfully sad when you, you know, the, one of the virtues of being young is hopefully hopefulness, hopefully hope. And when you see a, you know, jaundiced or cynical teenager, something's really gone wrong. Boy, they don't even hope anymore. They learned early uh, to harden their hearts and now perhaps lifted their heads very proudly in order to look over those who were bowed down in sorrow. Oh, you poor suckers. You actually hoped. You actually wanted life to be a certain way. Ha ha, that's funny. Laughing at people's pain. How could that sort of person ever be deceived? And yet, if he suddenly were to remind, be reminded vividly of the time when his heart dwelled dauntlessly and confidently rich in expectancy then he might be shocked at himself and you know they may be surprised that they've become so so jaundiced <clears throat> that's a medical disease but it's also a moral disease at himself in our dis and in, in his disappointed expectancy and that happens a lot people put so much hope into something and then they get it and then they um they start to uh, chip away at it because now reality sets in. We talked about that with teaching. Because he had never expected that he would ever foolishly carry his head high like the barren fig tree that expects nothing. That's another biblical illusion. Uh, Jesus cursing the fig tree. Uh, there's certain types of figs in, uh, in Israel that bloom at a different time than all the other fig trees. This is an interesting, just aside for a second. It's why biblical criticism is... It's questionable a lot of times that people don't know the Bible well enough. There is a there is a there is a fig tree in, in Israel, that, the one that Jesus cursed, that is supposed to have figs out of season. It doesn't follow the same pattern as other fig trees. So when Jesus curses that tree, it's it's a, it's a righteous pronouncement because it's supposed to have figs. Because uh, uh, the biblical skeptic and the critic would say, well, why is Jesus cursing a fig tree that it's not in season? Well, it is. <laughs> It is in season. It's that particular breed or brand of fig tree that is. It's like uh, when the shepherds are out in the field, uh, a lot of biblical uh, critics and, and skeptics will say, well, that's not the time of year that shepherds would be out in the fields in Galilee. Well, it is. In this particular region, it's actually the time. It, again, it might be because it's closer to the lake and it's warmer. Uh, but it was the perfect time, and it is the perfect time for shepherds to be out in the fields. Whereas in Galilee proper, it might not be because it's too dry or whatever. If you're around a body of water, and this happened up to my wife and I in Flathead Lake up in Montana, it's it's pretty cold in Montana. It's mountainous, of course, and uh, the Flathead Lake is a huge body of water. I think it's one of the largest uh, freshwater lakes in the world, and. Uh, it's cold in the winter, and nothing grows very well around it. If you get too far beyond the lake, uh, nothing grows. It's just uh, it's just kind of mountains and scrubs and stuff like that. 
but around the around the lake, uh, it's more temperate because the water insulates. It, you know, it takes a while for the water to get cold, so it's it's radiating warmth of the summer into the fall and into the winter, and then it freezes and all that kind of stuff. But there's it's surrounded for about five miles with apple trees and all these different varieties of trees and things that you go too far away from the lake, it's not there anymore. And I don't know if that's why the shepherds were out in the fields because it's close to the Lake of Galilee. But again, this is where criticism falls short because they don't take the time to learn. There's, there's scholarship on these issues and these questions have been answered. So if you have questions about the Bible and you assume, well, it's a contradiction or these fig trees shouldn't be having figs at this time or shepherds are not out in the field in this time during during the season. Well, dig a little deeper. <laughs> dig a little deeper, man, and you might find out that you're mis misconceiving something. Every foolish carries, carries head like the barren fig tree that expects nothing. If anyone was disappointed, then certainly it was he and more incurably than the others. The person who is deceived by the world can still hope that he will not be dis disappointed some other time under other circumstances. True. Uh, but the person who deceives himself is continuously deceived, continually deceived, even if he flees to the farthest limits of the world because he cannot, because he cannot escape himself. <clears throat> yeah, we are the biggest problem to ourselves generally. And there are people that that's not true about that they've been abused by others. They're, they've been, been abused and violated by another human being or situation. Yeah, but most of the times, our biggest enemy is ourselves. And I've, I've talked about that enough, so I don't need to get into that more. But, but he cannot escape himself. Uh, Soren's making that point. But we are well aware <coughs> that there were those whose expectancies were not disappointed. In busy service, they allowed themselves not a moment's quiet. They fragmented their souls in a multifarious expectancies. Expected now one thing, now another. Uh, they won and lost. So this is what, what Soren would call the aesthetic stage. They're just looking for one experience after another. They won and lost, arose early and walked along roads. Their expectancies were not disappointed. But the expectancy, yes, was out of the question. So the expectancy singular was out of the question, where indeed... Uh, where indeed was the master who was capable of describing the, the indefatigable emptiness of where were the memory and the thought that were capable of summing up such confusion, where the eternity that had the time to remember such things? Were they not disappointed, disappointed in their expectancy that time could not, could not run out, disappointed by the expectancy that in dissipation had let them forget that the earnestness of eternity was bound to forget all their aspirations and them also something they could have avoided. The earnestness of eternity. Oh, that's another great turn of phrase. The earnestness of eternity they could have avoided. Um, not to be forgotten in the course of time was the lot of very few people, but something more glorious, not to be forgotten eternity, was given to every human being who himself wills it. Were they then not disappointed, it is not the person who does not even suspect the disappointment before it swallows and annihilates him the most terribly disappointed. But Anna, however, my listener, let your thoughts dwell on this venerable woman whose mind is among the graves and now, although well on in years, nevertheless stands as the eternal's young fiancé. The, tr the tranquility in her eyes that nevertheless is expectance is expectant. Uh, that's just another 
beautiful. I love good writing. I was uh, hanging out with some friends on Sunday that are all visual artists, like they paint or they draw or sculptures or things like that. And I got invited to this thing because I'm friends with a couple of the people that are in this little consortium. And they put on a, a show in the fall of a, like, you know, like an art, an art show. And I'm going to help out with some of the things that I can do well, which is kind of organizational and you know, logistics and, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm not a visual artist. I don't have the skill, which always disappointed me. Uh, but I, I love words, man. I love words. Like words are like um, like like paint, like, like the colors of paint. And a good sentence is like a portrait. You know, when somebody uses words correctly, and that's why we should have good vocabularies, not to impress people, not to like pat ourselves on the back or win a spelling bee or something. But it gives us more clarity and gives us more depth and gives us more accuracy and more beauty to be able to combine the, this wonderful facility of language is what, is what separates human beings from all the other creatures out there is our ability to form words, you know, not just sounds, but words. Um, and th this paragraph is so beautiful, like Soren wrote it beautifully, of course, and then the Hongs translated it beautifully, which is hard to do. But Anna, however, my listener, let your thoughts dwell on this uh, venerable woman, venerable, vener veneration, it's a good thing, whose mind is among the graves, uh, whose mind is among the grave, uh, graves, and now, although well on in years, nevertheless stands as the Eternal's young fiancé. She's married to the Eternal, uh, or engaged to it, I guess that's a better way of saying it. This tranquility in her eyes that nevertheless is the expectant, is expectant, this gentleness that is reconciled to life and nevertheless expect is expectant uh this, this quiet integrity that is femininely occupied with recollection and nevertheless is expectant this humble self-denial that nevertheless is expectant this devout heart that covets nothing more it nevertheless is waiting in suspense beyond flowering nevertheless still ver uh, vigorous forsaken nevertheless not withered childless nevertheless not barren, bent with years and stooped, nevertheless not broken, a widow, nevertheless betrothed. Uh, betrothed. So beautiful and so kind and so good that this is this, that Soren had the uh, insight to express it so uh, beautifully. And uh, it had the, uh, and this is kind of what Paul gets into when he talks about all of his tribulations and all the heartache and that nothing that I've been through compares to the glory that shall be revealed to me and in me. Uh, so if we're going through hard times and life is kicking the crap out of us, uh, if we keep our eyes above and we focus on eternity and, and what the promises of those of those of that time uh, and that fulfillment promises, it allows us to tolerate a lot. <laughs> we have a lot of patience because we have a long wick. We're not going to burn short. Uh, the candle of eternity is long. But Anna, however, my listener, let your thoughts dwell on this venerable woman whose mind is among the graves and now, although well on in years, nevertheless stands as the eternal's young fiancé. So we can be like Anna. We put our hope in the Messiah. This tranquility in her eyes that nevertheless is expectant. This gentleness that is reconciled to life and nevertheless is expectant. This quiet integrity and so forth. I'm not going to read that again, but that is really, really good. That is really, really lovely. It's beautiful writing, but it's about a beautiful topic. So it is possible to use artistic talent and literary talent in a negative way. But how good it is when somebody uses their gifting to glorify the good and the beautiful. The true, the good, and the lovely. But Anna, but Anna, however. <laughs> so if you see people that are 
cynical and jaundiced and burnt up and negative, you can always say to yourself, but Anna, however, but Anna, however, just remember that just, but Anna, however, I don't know what the title of today's podcast will be, but it's going to have something like along those lines, but Anna, however, <laughs> this tranquility in her eyes that nevertheless is expectant. So she has that balance. She has tranquility. She has peace, but she also is expectant. So what a, what a, a good balance. Uh, so that's it. Uh, I know the last couple of weeks I haven't talked much about my life, but things are going pretty well. Uh, I can't complain if I did. I would deserve to be smacked because uh, I have a, a good situation right now. But again, I've been through the storms. I've been through the trials. Yeah, and the trials will come again, no doubt, at some point. But enjoy the time of blessing. If you're in a time of blessing, don't take it for granted because God can take it away. And he will often take it away because he doesn't want us to get too rooted in the world. He wants us to focus on the eternal. So uh, every good gift points to him. And Soren talked about that and our exposition on those verses regarding James and every good and perfect gift is from coming down from above, coming down from the Father of lights with there is no variation or shifting shadow. You know those verses. Anyway, God bless. <laughs>